Tonight we are talking about peace. God's peace that he offers. And we're actually, I had started out, I was thinking about that famous passage in Philippians 4 on peace. Then I thought, well, we actually need to start before there. At the end of chapter 3, because there is an important part of peace that is described in the end of that chapter as well. And so I ask you to turn there, Philippians 3, we look at the last two verses of that chapter and move into the first seven verses of chapter 4. So when you find that, if you'd stand in God's honor. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Eudia and I plead with Sincti to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. May God bless the reading of his word. Father, thank you that we are able to be here, Lord. Father, none of us are strangers to worry. We find ourselves at times battling that. And yet, Lord, um, you speak about the pathway to peace. You can't have both at the same time, Lord. Worry and peace, they don't coexist, so... Pray, Father, as we look at your truth, that we'd be reminded, Lord, of why we don't have to live in worry. That you have a plan. And, Father, that you have a prescription. And I just pray, Father, that we would uh, hear from you, God, as we look at your truth. Remind us, Lord, there's hope. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. uh, To begin with, in the end of chapter 3, he talks about our destination, which... I think it's a real key when it comes to a sense of peace because sometimes, quite honestly, our circumstances don't change and they don't change for a long number of years. But one thing that is constant is that one day we will be with him and we shall be like him for we shall be as he is. And and God promises that and As we look at the very text here, um, he tells us our citizenship is in heaven. You know, like that old song says, we're passing through. Just this is not really our home. And if sometimes you just don't feel like things just aren't right, this is not how it should be. And there's a discontent and there's an ache in your heart and there's a feeling of, Why is it like this? Well, we need to be reminded 
that this is not all there is. And this is not our home. And that there is more that awaits for us. And that is the ultimate trump card. And that is a hope. Uh, often today, it seems like we're so um, into the moment and into the present. And everything's about convenience and, and, you know, fast food and everything fast. But the truth of the matter is, there awaits for us God. And there awaits for us heaven. And that's the place we're going to be. And, and that's an important lesson. And he tells us, too, that by that power, everything will be under his control. Things will one day be as they're meant to be. And that these aches and pains and these lowly bodies will be transformed, too, like his glorious body. And that is an important hope as we wait for his return. Then he moves into his exhortation. And that's what he says. And I, I think it's important here, as he speaks... He's not just sharing a bunch of facts. He's talked about the hope of heaven that awaits and the transformation that will happen as for now there's a battle, but one day we'll be like him. He'll be transformed. Then he, he talks. He doesn't just share a bunch of facts about the church. He shares from his heart because Paul loves the church. Notice as he speaks to him, he says, my brothers. He could as easily say my brothers and my sisters. He, he's not... There's a connection. There's a relationship here with these people. These people are precious to him. And notice what he says. You whom I love. And he says whom I long for. At this point he's in a prison. And he misses the church. He misses being next to God's people. He he misses that connection. He, he misses that blessing that comes when you're with his people. And, and, and so he, he shares that clearly. He calls them my joy and my crown. And, and he says, stand firm. Think about heaven that's to come and stand firm. Think about the connection that we have together in Jesus Christ and stand firm. But he moves from that exhortation and there is a resentment. He moves from the fact he loves the church and then we're reminded again that the church is God's sinners in it. We're a mess. And we have a good example here of of these two ladies, Nudia and Sancti. And uh, I read as I was studying this, it talked about two sisters who never got married. And at some point they got in an argument. And so for years, they didn't talk to each other. It got so bad, they would use the same kitchen to cook in in the small house, but they cooked at different times. They ate alone. And then when it came time to... Uh, Use uh, to go to bed. They slept in the same bedroom, but they had marked a white line down the middle of the room. One sister's stuff was on this side. The other side was the other sister's stuff. You didn't go over the line. And you stayed on your side where it was safe. They cooked and, and, and ate and they sewed and they read alone, even though the sister was right there. <laughs> And it says here in this example, it says, Through the night, each could hear the breathing of the foe, but neither was willing to take the first step to reconciliation and forgiveness. They coexisted for years in grinding silence. Wow, what a term, grinding silence. And, and I want you to notice here, is, is Paul, you know, it made me think, as Paul's talking about these two ladies He, he, he says, I plead with these ladies that they agree with each other. I have, 
you know, I, I don't know if it was a loud disagreement or if it was that grinding silence. But it was obvious that they were not together, that there was a resentment. And he says, he, he asks, he says to these yoke fellows, he says, help these women. These are women, he said, who contended at my side for the cause of the gospel. These are women that love Jesus. These are not people that just occasionally came to church. You know, like Vance Havner used to say, the Holly and Lily Christians that just come, you know, at, at Eastern Christmas. These are, are people who were connected in the life of the church. They, they, they were in the trenches. They loved God and they loved one another, but something happened. And, and as a result of that, they were fighting. As a result of that, there, there was a, a bitterness. And may it not be among God's people. And I want you to notice what he said here. At the end of chapter 3, there's an important word as he speaks he says, help these women. They've contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. What he's saying here is these ladies are covered there. As I said this morning, they're in Jesus Christ. They're in Christ Jesus. They're in that place of safety. They know the Lord just like you. Their names are in the book of life. And, and he's saying, since we're all, it's like a family album. Hey, as we look at one another, we're together. And, and if we're in the same book, we need to be on the same page. That's what he's saying. We need, we need to be willing to forgive. We, we need to be willing to have thick skins, but not thick hearts. And and so it, so as he speaks there, uh, how important that is. How important that is. Um, now this leads to Paul's exhortation. What he shares a, in verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. He says this once... Then he repeats himself for emphasis. He says, I want you guys to get this. I don't want you to miss this. This is key. And so often we live as if we've been sucking on uh, something sour instead of walking in joy and in the grace of the Lord. Like the guy that, that there's a cartoon I saw, the middle-aged man, pop bellied, had a frown on his face with a T-shirt that said, don't ask me to have a nice day, please. With that old saying by W.C. Fields that says, I wake up in the morning and I smile so I can go ahead and get it over with. That's not to be us, guys. To rejoice, and he says always. In other words, we need to gain this understanding. We need to have this ability to see that God loves us, that God has a plan, that God is at work, and that as we trust Him, a simple confident joy is able to flow from our lives. He says you do this always. He says it again for emphasis. The importance that that is to be that part of our lives. And that word rejoice, it's an imperative verb. It's a command which gives the indication that it's not always natural. Sometimes that is not what we naturally want to do is rejoice. But he says, hey, you need to you need to refocus. And he says this after these two ladies who, who are not getting along. And he says, stop looking at something that has offended you, some root of bitterness, and look at the Lord. Look at the blessings that you have. Look what God has provided. And guys, let's get beyond the, the, the little stuff. Let's, let's get beyond this, this, this griping and, and this bickering, and let's rejoice in the Lord. 
And, and to remember, he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. The emphasis continues on the next verse, verse 5, where he says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So he talks about an evident gentleness there. Back in, it was either the 2nd or the 3rd century, there were many Greeks that had moved into Israel. And so they had, because of the number of Greeks, there were a dozen Jewish scholars who had decided they were going to translate the Bible into Greek. Um, for those who who were reading Greek. And so that was called the Septuagint. And in the Old Testament, in Psalm 86, verse 5, there's a verse uh, where the word forgiving and good, the phrase forgiving and good that is used is the same Greek word that is used in this passage for gentleness. The verse says, You are forgiving and good, O Lord, abounding in love to all who call to you. And so many scholars believe that the picture here is that as it gives this picture of God, that God is forgiving and he is good and that he's abounding in love to all who call. And so the picture here is that that should be God's people. That should be you and it should be me. Part of a peace that flows from our lives is that there is a gentleness that's abounding in love and there's a willingness to forgive. To not hold on to the grudges, but to be willing to to start new. To 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 in the grace of God to say, you know, I'm not going to fight this. I'm not going to push this. God, give me the strength to be like you that I may be able to forgive. And he says two things. He says the Lord's near. And of course, that has two meanings. First, God's always looking at us. And, you know, there is some value. And remember that God sees us, that God's aware of what we're doing. He's watching. And the second thing is the Lord is near. We don't know he's coming back like a thief in the night. We don't know what moment he's coming back. So there should be an awareness of that. God, I don't want you to come back and I'm fighting with this person, Lord. Father, as far as it depends on me, may I be forgiving. I realize sometimes circumstances work where it takes two parties. But as far as it depends on me, Lord, may I work that way, Lord. And then that famous verse, verse 6, where he gives a prescription. The prescription toward peace with, with all the worry at, at God's heart. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition. With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. As he gives a prescription here, the word that comes to mind is prayer. Because he uses four different words here for prayer. First, as he he talks about it, he says, um, do it by prayer. That's a broad word for prayer. It's all-inclusive, talking about the communication with God, listening, sharing our hearts, bearing our hearts to God. Then he moves to petition, which is sharing a specific list for somebody else. Yeah, somebody you love. God, I can't sleep because I'm so worried about this person. I'm so worried about this circumstance. God, I, I need you to intervene, God. I need you to, to reach out in this situation, God, because I can't fix it, Lord. Petitions. And and then not only petitions, but he he moves on 
and eats his thanksgiving. Where there's that heart, God, of let me be thankful for what I have instead of worried about what I don't have. Let me, Father, live out of that attitude of gratitude, Father, to trust you in in what I do, Father, because that is so important. And then that last one in the verse that he speaks of, to present your requests to God. This is specifically talking about, God, what I need. You know, sometimes when Cindy and I will pray and we'll pray for other people and, you know, how God needs to fix them and change them and straighten them out. And then every once in a while, God will say, maybe you guys, you know, Todd, maybe you ought to ask him to straighten you out a little bit, you know. And, and sometimes I'll sit back and think, God, change me. So often there's this picture, Lord, of praying for other people, but also, God, change me, Lord. Do a work in me, God. Make me like you. You know, straighten out those rough edges, those parts of me, God, that aren't don't look like Jesus. And, and that is the picture here. You see, Paul's making it clear that worry and prayer don't coexist. You're either doing one or the other. You're either praying or you're worrying. And, and so what he's saying is, I want you to pray. <laughs> don't spend that time in worry. Spend that time in prayer. Cry out to your God instead of, of sit and mull over. Oh, no, you know. To, to cry out to him instead of have that moan and groan um, is, is the idea here, which is so critical um, in trusting him. And that leads to that last one, which is his awesome protection. The protection that he provides in those um, as we pray. When we decide we're going to cry out to God, when we're going to come in prayer, we're going to bring those requests for others with a heart of thanksgiving, um, with those direct requests for ourselves. When we come to him with that kind of a heart, he promises that the result of that comes with a peace. It, it, it transcends all understanding and it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That phrase, peace of God, is the only place in the Bible where you find this, these particular words. These particular Greek words. This peace of God. It's found here and it comes in response to honest prayer that is given to our God. And he says when that happens, it's beyond understanding. It's beyond explanation. But that's what he provides when we come in honest prayer. And he says when we do that, he will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That word guard, it's, it's a military term that actually speaks of a sentry who is guarding something of importance. And his job is to make sure that an enemy is not able to infiltrate, is not able to bring harm. And, and so it is one who watches and it is one who not only watches against, but warns if intruder comes. It's the idea that when we are in prayer and our hearts and our minds are focused upon God, he warns us. When we begin to steer away from the peace he wants us to have, when worry begins to come in, that, that peace of God says, oh, no, stop, don't go there. <laughs> Look to God. 
Trust God. He is like corporal peace and appointed to that duty of marching as a silent sentry around our minds and our emotions so that the peace of God may be close. That's God's heart. That's the peace that He promises to bring. So as we remember that what awaits us is peace that's eternal in all of glory and all these struggles that we have as it talks about in the Scriptures that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 or 17, that far outweighs them all. That's what God promises. That's what He provides. That's what awaits us. We have a church family that's precious. He says because of that, we need to stand firm with those two wonderful blessings that we have. And he pleads that we be careful not to not to fight, not to lose sight of God and, and to disagree. And, 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 you know, I think of Hebrews twelve fifteen that says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. It's a pleading to just keep your eyes on the grace of God so that nothing can, can separate us so we can be together in God. And, and it says, just you rejoice always, not sometimes, not occasionally, always to rejoice, to be forgiving and, and gentleness. That, that's evident that that's what marks us that I didn't mention it before. But but that word gentleness also, it, it speaks of, of not having to voluntarily giving up your rights, not being a person who's always saying, well, I got to have my rights. It's, it's not about that. It's, it's about a willingness to be humble. It's about a willingness to not have to always have my way. It's about a willingness to ha- do what's most important, even if I have to sacrifice. Prayer instead of worry. The peace of God that he promises when we're a people of prayer. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we are prone to worry, Lord. Thank you for your word, God. That reminds us, Father, that... Um, We have a lot to be thankful for, Lord. Why do we forget? (laughs) Why do we miss it? Father, as we've taken just a few minutes, Father, to look at how you've blessed us and to be reminded, Lord, that you want to serve as a sentry, as a guard, to keep our hearts focused on you, Lord. You don't want us to become sour, but, Father, to be a people who rejoice and God, I pray that you keep our mindset that way, Lord. Um, Thank you, Father, for the promises that you give. Thank you for your word being clear. And I just pray, Father, that we would take that to heart, Lord, and that we would live according to your truth, Lord, that we might be a people of prayer that leads us, Father, to joy. And, Father, guide us in your name we pray.